Hello, I'm Terry Schultz, and I am channeling Brussels, getting newsmakers, movers, and shakers to lose the lingo, burst out of the Brussels bubble, and have real conversations about the critical foreign and security policies shaping our world. It's the rest of the story, beyond the few seconds of sound bites that make it into the news. This week's Channeling Brussels is brought to you by the Atlantic Council. And now we're headed to the front line of NATO's Enhanced Forward Presence, or EFP, in Lithuania, where I was on the sidelines of part of Saber Strike 2017. Some 11,000 troops from 20 allies and partners staged exercises throughout Poland and the Baltic states and inaugurated the four new EFP battle groups in those countries, which will stay on as part of NATO's reassurance and deterrence measures along the alliance's eastern border. In particular, this year's month-long saber strike practiced defending the area NATO calls the Suwaki Gap. That's a 65-mile border where Poland and Lithuania meet, and which separates Russia's Kaliningrad on from Russian ally Belarus. This year was the first time NATO military exercises have practiced specifically defending that vulnerable strip of land, just in case. After watching troops assemble a temporary bridge over the river nearest, then take it apart in minutes to use as water transport for armored vehicles, I caught up with a couple of key players here. First, I spoke with NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, who was also there to observe the exercises and the battle groups becoming fully operational. I also managed a few minutes with the man in charge of the entire massive saber strike exercise, U.S. Major General Neil Leudelt of the Minnesota National Guard, the commanding general of the 34th Infantry Division. First, here's NATO Chief Stoltenberg. We've just seen these impressively quick exercises that means that if Russia came across the border this way, NATO would be ready, uh, Lithuania would be ready. But is this really the most likely way that, uh, that the next conflict with Russia would start when we're looking at all the hybrid possibilities, we're looking at what happened in Crimea? It wasn't simply a conventional you know, tank coming across the border. These forces also are also relevant for a hybrid threat uh, because I think what we saw in Crimea and Ukraine is that uh, uh, there was a lack of uh, strong military presence that made it possible for uh, Russia to act in the way they did with hybrid warfare with little green men uh, in Crimea. Lithuania is a very different country, uh, but we need increased NATO presence with multinational forces, uh, improving our situational awareness to be able to uh, send a very clear message that anything, any attack, any, any, any threat against any NATO ally will trigger a response from the whole alliance. And that's the most important message we are sending with uh, the presence of the uh, multinational uh, battalion here in Lithuania. How worried are you about the nuclearization of Kaliningrad, for example? How would this help if there's truly a nuclear threat? But again, uh, the battle groups we have in the Baltic countries and Poland are only one part of a broader response from NATO uh, to a more assertive Russia, a Russia which has been responsible for aggressive actions against Ukraine. The battle groups are important because they send a message of unity, uh, of, uh, of NATO solidarity, one for all, all for one. But we have also uh, tripled the size of the NATO response force to 40,000 troops. Part of that is a speeded force that can move within uh, days. And also uh, the Baltic countries and Poland themselves are now investing more in defense. Poland spends 2%, Estonia spends 2% of GDP on defense, and Lithuania and Latvia will be at 2% next year. So we are doing many different things at the same time to respond to a more demanding security environment in this region.
In a couple of months, Russia is going to be practicing exactly this kind of potential invasion. How worried are you that something will go wrong in Zapad, that even if they aren't truly invading, that there's a mistake, that there's something that could raise raise the alarm bells when and, and, and possibly escalate? So we don't see any imminent uh threat against any NATO uh, ally, but we have to be vigilant, we have to follow very closely the, development, the developments uh, around our borders, and therefore we will follow the uh, SAPAD 2017 exercise uh, closely. Uh, we expect Russia, uh, or we call on Russia to fully adhere to their international obligations, uh, the Vienna document, uh, which requires international uh, inspection of these kind of military exercises. And the increased presence of military uh, so, uh, personnel, uh, uh, armed forces close to our borders just underlines the importance of more predictability, transparency and mechanisms for risk reduction to avoid any incidents and accidents from happening. You call on them, but you don't really expect them, do you, to, to tell you? Because they haven't in the past. And how likely is it that we'll have an NRC before, uh, before then? So one of the issues we are discussing with Russia is uh, their, uh, the lack of, uh, of uh, fulfillment of their obligations according to the Vienna document, because Russia has not invited uh, international observers before. At this exercise we have uh, international observers present. Are there Russians? Uh, I don't know exactly whether there are Russians. Chinese. Uh, yeah, Chinese. Yeah. So we have, but we, we, we conduct our exercises, the NATO exercises, in a fully transparent uh, way and fully in accordance with our international obligations including the Vienna document but we are one of the reasons why we think it is important to have a political dialogue with Russia is to again and again call on them to also be transparent and also be living up to their international obligations because incidents and accidents is a risk both for us and also for them and NRC we are we are working with, with Russia now to agree on a new uh, meeting in the NATO Russia Council. Uh, we haven't yet uh, agreed on exact date and exact uh, agenda, but uh, the important thing is that after two years with no meetings in the NATO Russia Council, we have been able to then uh, so re-establish these meetings as a platform for political dialogue with uh, Russia. Thank you very much. Thank you. That, of course, was NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. And now my conversation with General Neil Leudelt, the Minnesota National Guardsman in charge of NATO's Sabre Strike 17. General, um, how does it feel for you to have this operation come together? Yeah, well, let me say, uh, initially it was a real honor to be able to be, to be picked to do this, um, you know, because I'm a National Guard officer from Minnesota. Right, and and this is the biggest operation in Europe right now. But we have a large part of the force here from Minnesota. The task force that's in Pabrati is from Minnesota, and the brigade headquarters that has been handling all of the command and control is also from Minnesota. So it was somewhat logical uh, when they needed a, a general officer to do this um, for it to be me. But in terms of you know as it's all coming together, right? I got here on the first of June, and so it's nice when the whole thing works like it did today. And it has pretty much every place I've been. All four of the nations have some day similar to this, and it's all uh, they've all gone real well, all without a challenge, all without any safety issues, and all to, as I think it was the Estonian defense minister who said to me, to the awareness of the public as well, to be able to see what the military knows it can do. 
But let's talk about what the threat would really be, because this is a question I always have in my mind. We've seen now today in some of these operations, you can move very quickly, you can get uh, vehicles across a river very quickly. Um, but if Russia were really going to meddle in the Baltics, would they actually try to roll some tanks across the border? Is that realistic anymore when we've seen what they're doing with hybrid warfare? How would an, an operation like this could protect some territory, could perhaps prevent them from rolling in? But is that the way the next war is going to be waged? Well, um, some would say no, but uh, as, as planners, we try to be prepared for any way, right, that the next war is going to be waged. And so you might say, why are we still practicing mounted maneuver with tanks and Bradleys? Well, because the enemy still has its own versions of tanks and Bradleys, right? And they might very well still choose to use them against us. So perhaps it could be the, perhaps it could be both phases of the Ukraine operation, right? Perhaps it could be little green men, but also perhaps it could be the invasion into the Donbass region. That could very well happen here. Um, the Estonians are, you know, they believe that something like that is, is very possible. And that's what they shared with me when I was there. So that's why we train on all of it. We train on every type of warfare so that we're ready either way. So that's interesting. So you're very much looking at what happened in Crimea as a model for what could happen here. Well, we're not training specifically towards what happened in Crimea. The tasks that soldiers train on are regardless of the enemy, except for some maybe larger tactical formation issues. But it is the first time we've seen the little green men and, and this kind of, as you yourself mentioned. It is, it is. And, uh, you know, I, I think, though, that they are doing, uh, they do real good work here. I, I spent some time with the Latvians relative to the cyber threat and the false news that the, that the Russians had put out about the EFP battle group commander, about soldiers committing rapes and atrocities in the Latvian countryside, etc. That's probably the way this thing evolves. But, but what we don't know is, you know, what happens if there's a real tactical miscalculation and somebody does run a bomber into somebody else's bomber or somebody crosses a border that they're not supposed to. And you wouldn't want to be the unprepared force practicing and training only for little green men and then having be made to deal with a, a maneuver threat. But if it were a miscalculation, you also wouldn't automatically want an Article 5 all-hands-on-deck uh, response, would you? No, no. In fact, the, 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 all, th all four of the countries will say they understand that their first obligation is to be able to defend themselves, right, along the way. And that's what we're trying to, that's what we're doing here with an exercise like this, is increasing the capacity of, you know, in this case, in the, of the Lithuanian Brigade, which we heard about at the exercise, how they just put this uh, battalion underneath the Lithuanian Brigade, and you know, significantly, then it increases its combat capability. What does it, explain that to me? I don't, I don't follow you exactly. So the the, the battalion, mm -hmm. led by in this case the Germans, are under the Lithuanian command. Correct, correct. The the German lieutenant colonel said he has his, his commander here, in uh, in Lithuania, Colonel Steff. Yet yet he still has his German boss, you, you know, that his brigade commander in Germany. So yeah. So that's remarkable. That, that a Baltic that a Baltic brigade is commanding a German-led battle group. Yeah, well, I, it might have been remarkable a year ago, but that's what came out of the Warsaw Summit, right? And that's what that's what's being stood up here in all four of the countries is some version of it, an EFP that's integrated within the host nation force. So, when, but when you're saying Lithuania defend itself, it's defend itself with the backup of many other countries and and a NATO battle group. Correct. Correct. But but it but it, it's not that it is you know at the first sign of something it's waiting for you know let's let's put the Article Five card down no it has to it has to do its own stuff along the way okay so that's part of that's part of the, the training as well Just determining what would actually constitute an invasion 
I think so, but not 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 at the tactical level, right? Those are political considerations. I, I mean, obviously, if somebody drives across the border, we can see that. But the decision of to go to war, to fight, to invoke um, any manner of the NATO charter is still left with the president who is here today and ministers of defense, not with not with guys like me. You know, as we say, well above my pay grade. So could I go back to something you said about training for the hybrid threat, training for the social media, the propaganda, the the softening up of the maybe Russian-speaking populations. So you, you're also training on that here? Well, the, the, our formation isn't, not at the tactical level. I, what I was sharing with you is that both in Latvia and Estonia, the, their ministers there shared with me that they are, they're trying to figure out how to deal with that. But the uh, Latvian chief of defense said they've already you know, picked up, if you will, two, uh, two Russian drones outside of their training base. So, th so that's real. It's real. And we see it in, um, well, they didn't have a drone up today. I suppose maybe somebody prohibited it. But the, when we were at, uh, two days ago, I was at the Sawaki Gap. There was five of them. Russian drones? No, no, no. Oh, your drones? No. Well, not mine. NATO drones? NATO drones, um, local, the local news outlet drone. I think the uh, Lithuanian forces had their own drone. Maybe it was their own public affairs team. So a year ago, you wouldn't have had that consideration, right? Well, you just wouldn't have. And for us, since we don't fly... Uh, anything over our formations like that. I, you know, the first time it happened, I was like, do you think we should, should I tell somebody about that drone? You know, like, don't worry about it. It's, it's okay. <laughs> which is an interesting part of the exercise across the, the countries, which is everybody's got their own nuance. And so it's not for me to, as the exercise director, to tell the Lithuanians whether they can or can't, you know, use a drone. I mean, this is where they were here. We're standing here in Lithuania. It's their, their rule set then that we follow. So you mentioned that um, you're, you're trying to understand or watching how the local population feels about having, you know, just regaining independence in 1991 and now here we are with all of NATO standing ready to defend them. Um, in speaking with your colleagues, your, your local counterparts, um, how deeply do you think they feel this? Is it, it's, I mean, independence is like it was just yesterday for them and they're, they're constantly worried. Yeah, I, well, I, you know, I didn't get to everybody obviously but when i was in latvia the, the, ch the chief of defense said to us there don't take any back roads we want you to be seen w wear your wear your uniform be out in the public you know behave yourself that's what we had to tell the marines right behave yourself but but be be available stop and talk to people answer questions do whatever you can and so that's what that's what we do and so we leave our uniforms on when we get back to the hotel and which is pretty unusual in brussels where i live you're told to erase any any um marking that you're a military especially in america yeah well they you know they said it's okay and that that is the nature of what we're doing right this idea of public awareness public assurance i think is how uh, the latvians described it because um, so much of the public isn't aware um, let me ask you a couple of other things. The, um, would this have been a perfect opportunity for the Americans not to have to come in and and take so much responsibility in leading a, a, a battle group? Do you sense that that the U.S. would have liked to see four European-led battle groups instead of the Americans in Poland? I, I, I don't. I don't have any real knowledge of what went into organizing them. Save it to say uh, we're, we know we're better collectively. And so I think the more nations involvement that you can have that's appropriate the better off we'll be you know as a formation overall and have you sensed any any concern about whether under president trump and his his reluctance to mention article 5 that people would doubt that you'll be there when they when they need you I, I haven't. I haven't experienced it since I've been here and do people talk about it no actually it hasn't much come up because i mean I, we're here right i'm here, i'm right here today in lithuania talking to you so there shouldn't be a question about would i be here if i had to be because i'm here now and i don't have to be 
How does it make you feel when, um, as I've been told by Baltic military leaders, that it's really important to have Americans here, actually in each of, of the countries, that sure it's great to have Europeans, but what really would deter the Russians is is, is American troops. Yeah, well, I, as a senior leader, it gives you a guy a great sense of pride, right, that his military is respected that well, that people would like to have it be part of their overall defense plan. Well, and that, that means more to the Russians than having uh, Europeans in the lead. You think that matters? Um, well, I, I would hope it matters, but I don't know what the Russians are thinking. If I did, I would probably be writing a book and not talking to you. <laughs> That's U.S. General Neil Lloydold, the director of NATO's Sabre Strike 17, speaking to me along the river nearest in Lithuania, part of the area known as the Suwalki Gap. It's less of a security gap now that some 11,000 NATO and partner troops have practiced defending it. In September, Russia and Belarus are going to stage their own drills, not far from where I was speaking with General Lloydold. Western estimates are that these Zapad 2017 exercises could feature almost 10 times the number of troops present for Sabre Strike. That's right, something like 100,000 military personnel. Russia says it will be much smaller than that, but so far the Kremlin hasn't revealed any specifics, even though, as the Secretary General mentioned, they are required to give at least 42 days notification to the OSCE if there will be more than 9,000 troops participating. So, tick-tock. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu did recently say they'd be inviting journalists and others as observers, so I'm just hoping my invitation's in the mail. Anyway, we're certain to be speaking much more about Zapad in the near future. But that's all our time for now. Thanks so much to my guests, Secretary General Stoltenberg and U.S. General Neil Lloydolt, for making time during Sabre Strike 17 to talk to me. Thanks to the Atlantic Council for sponsoring this channel in Brussels, and thanks to you for listening. I'm Terry Schultz. Join me next time.